We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Welcome to Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. Today, my guest is Ryan Law. Ryan is an acupuncturist in the Seattle area. He works a lot with dancers and athletes, and he takes a rather meditative approach to his practice. He's got an absolutely gorgeous website. It looks like a poem. I really suggest that you go check it out. Today, we're having a wide-ranging conversation over tea, and unlike most of the shows where I first introduce the guest and then we jump into it, Ryan and I just started a conversation that just kept unwinding. So I'm going to drop you into the middle of that conversation here in a moment. Here's Ryan Law. When, when I got out of school, everybody said, don't stay in Seattle. You won't make any money. It'll be impossible to make a living. And, and I think that that's probably true. It's a little hard to make a living to start. But in the long run, it, if you... I still meet people who haven't experienced acupuncture. So I know that it's not like all the patients are taken. And I know that it's not that there's not people who need our medicine here. And if you have roots and connection here, it's so nice. It's so nice to be able to connect with your teachers, with your family, with the mountains. With the mountains. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, you know, on one hand, it's very easy to build a practice in St. Louis. On the other hand, if you build a thriving business in a place where you you just don't really quite call home, yeah. now you got a thriving business and you want to gnaw your leg off. Build it where your heart is. That's good to know. That's good to hear, actually. Build it where your heart is. And if your heart happens to be in a place that's not in a big city and really needs you, you know, and there's not much competition and stuff, well, great. But I don't think I'd suggest a new practitioner go out to the hinterlands strictly for the money because you'll get the money. You will get the money, but you know if, if your heart's not in it, then, then you got that to contend with. Well, that's what we're always preaching, right? When we're, when we're talking to patients, it's like, you got to do what you love and your job is what's killing you, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
It's so true, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's this big piece of what we do that can be treated with needles. And then there's this big piece of what a person does for themselves and how they frame their life and what they allow themselves to do and not do that will heal them or hurt them terribly. Yeah. And I think we, we forget, all of us, what we're capable of. And we get into a groove. And sometimes we forget to examine that groove. We just stay in it until there's something wrong that we're too deep on one side or something. And then you're like, oh, actually, I don't really like my job and my neck hurts all the time. <laughs> and then now you have to go look for somebody like, tell me what's wrong. And they go see all these people. And it turns out that your neck hurts, but it's mostly because your job. It's mostly because you're not happy. You're, you're internalizing the stress somewhere and grinding your teeth. And, and, that's, and that's doing you in. Yeah, and then so you come along with something like acupuncture or even just this kind of a conversation, right? And people kind of get it. And, okay, so where's the evidence-based medicine? Where's the evidence-based studies that show job satisfaction contributes to migraine headaches? You know, I mean, you don't see it out there. No. Well, it's hard, it's hard to measure. It's, it would be a hard thing to, to do a double-blind controlled study on. Because you would first need a group of people that already have migraines. You can't test a bunch of people who don't have migraines for their job satisfaction unless you do you know, one of these like Harvard 75-year studies of somebody's life that they, they use the happiness quotient and figure out what makes people happy and successful. And they're like, oh, it turns out it's mostly relationships. But they don't look at that as far as does this person get migraines or do they... Or who knows? Maybe the maybe the data's in that study. Yeah, I don't know. It, it so often people will come to us. You know, we've actually already started the show here, so we're just gonna. I'm just gonna run with this. Yeah, so often it will be this thing of I've got problem X, and here's the drug, or here's the physical therapy, or here's the whatever that cures X. But w- yeah, exactly. What if the thing that's killing you is that is that you don't like your job, or even worse, you don't like yourself? Yeah. Or you're misplacing that you don't like your job on your internal insecurity. Or I I love the the Yoda quote about you know fear leads to anger, anger leads to the dark side. Ah yes. This <laughs> because this. <laughs> This feeling is so much of what we do is starts out of fear. You know, we're scared of losing our own life. And, and that immediately becomes resistance. How do we not lose our own life? How do we not lose our partner? How do we not lose our job? How do we maintain our security? And what do we want to maintain security for but for life? Mm-hmm. And so we end up resisting it the fear by turning it into anger and some form of resentment against something else. And, you know, that sometimes disconnects the body. Sometimes that shows up as pain. Sometimes it shows up as passive aggressive driving. So how do you see acupuncture helping people with this kind of thing? Or can acupuncture help with this kind of thing? Maybe something else is needed. What are your thoughts on that? I often joke with people about this idea that the question comes up about evidence-based medicine or, you know, where's the proof for how this works? And I, I'm like, oh, I read online that this is, acupuncture is actually a placebo. 
And I always say the same thing. I don't care if it's a placebo or if, if you want to talk about chi or if you want to talk about stagnation in your channels. I think when you put a needle in somebody's body and they take time to lay down and still themselves and sit with their problem, whatever it is, you, you have this, you have a moment where your body can relax. And in that relaxation, it starts to do the healing process. Mm. You have this time to kind of unfold and that lets it open. That lets the body open up and actually process what's happening. So I want to swing this around into, a, I won't say biomedicine, but it, it sort of comes back to Western biology here. There's a couple of states that we as human beings tend to be in. There's the parasympathetic mode, which is where we're relaxed and our digestion's working well. And, and actually, we can heal ourselves in the parasympathetic mode. And then there's the sympathetic mode, which is where most of us are when we're driving, commuting, arguing with our boss, or feeling fear over the economy or presidential election or whatever, fight and flight, basically. And, and you can't heal in fight and flight. You cannot, in sympathetic mode, heal because you might die, right? That's where fear is running rampant, the adrenaline is running through the body, and the idea is to survive. Parasympathetic which I think acupuncture often will just pull people right into it. That's the space where our bodies and spirits in this amazing being that we inhabit, that's you know so amazingly self-regulating and self-repairing, that's when it can actually do its job. So acupuncture, at least in my experience, seems to really pull people into that parasympathetic mode. The question that I've got and, and especially because you work with some, from what I've seen on your website, you work with athletes, you work with dancers, you work with some pretty intense folks that have a lot of demands on their body. How do you keep that parasympathetic healing mode going once you're off the table? I think this is an, it's an interesting question. With dancers, it's actually really easy to encourage this kind of state. I think of it as a state change because... They, they are accustomed to performing different states. And so as a dancer, you're often asked to emote fear. You're asked to emote anger. You're asked to emote sadness. And those, those feelings in the body take a physical form. And we know when we see somebody lurching or they're, somebody's walking with their chest really high, they all have these different connotations that come with them. And so dancers are interesting because when, when they are able to tap into this parasympathetic state, they can actually calm their whole system and they can regenerate it off of the table. Part of this, I think, is through physical presence. Part of it is through the process of embodying your body. So if you do that through breath, if you th do that through... I'm rubbing my fingers together here, this like textile, there's a texture. If you can ground yourself in some tea and actually taste what you're eating, all of those moments of singularity, uh, of direct focus, are ways that we can uh, capture this. And I think uh, historically, you think about Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation, all of these are practices of essentially trying to, to create an immortal, right? 
the idea is to like live for as long as you can, so to sustain the body. But what I find funny is that we do that. We do that through being present right now. You don't do that by preparing for for what's next. You do that by breathing and moving your body and being present right here, right now. So I suspect then that you would find meditation to be a useful practice in this as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that meditation doesn't have to... Often I hear that people say, oh, I can't meditate because I can't make my mind quiet. I know that's hilarious. <laughs> and I think as somebody who's meditated for years, I think I've never had my mind quiet. Quiet mind? What's that? Right? I've just learned to watch it mm. and let it run about and uh, take a moment to be the witness instead of the, the one that's tossed around on the tumble of the wave of thought. Yeah. I find this for myself. I've not had a meditative practice for long, but I've, I've had it for long enough to recognize that there actually are moments that are very quiet. And, you know, that, that's nice. There's moments where it's an incredible noisy riot. And the difference between knowing that I'm sitting in an incredibly noisy riot and being in a noisy riot without any awareness is tremendous. Yeah, do you do you have any practices you do every day? Uh, I do. I sit every morning. Okay. And then I think about people who are also they draw or it everybody that has their cup of coffee every morning. Yes. You know, this is a this is a perfect moment I think to to look at that because what's interesting about that cup of coffee is you have that you have that moment in time whether you just had your tooth pulled, whether you have a headache, whether you slept well, whether you didn't sleep well, and you start to, you know, whether, you, whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, you start to draw this circle and look inside at that cup of coffee every day. The, the experience doesn't change, but yours does. And so I feel like in a sense we're chasing the periphery, looking in at what what I think the Chinese call source, right? What I think is, is the idea of source chi, the, the root of our existence. And you're just getting to see different parts of it every day through a practice that you don't change. Yes. So I have this sitting practice, but I also have the cup of coffee practice. Ah. And I also have the put the water on for tea in the clinic practice. And there's something that you mentioned about just you were rubbing your fingers together and, and, you know, as a way of just bringing yourself present with sensate experience. You can do the same thing by picking up a coffee cup, a teacup, uh, the clothes you wear, right, and being aware of how that feels. There's a book I read a little while back called Counterclockwise, written by... Uh, Ellen Langer, I think it was. Are you familiar with her? I'm not, but I'm writing it down. Yeah. I heard an interview with her on, uh, on Being. And Ellen Langer has been, uh, I'm going to put this in air quotes, researching mindfulness for like decades. She's this really sassy New Yorker. And the thing that I, 
I mean, there's a lot of her work that I really love because it, it stuff that seems really counterintuitive. It's sort of almost Malcolm Gladwell like. You read it and you go, "Oh, I see that now. How could I have missed that before?" And one of the things she talks about in terms of mindfulness is it's actually a very simple practice. You don't need anything special to do it. You don't need tapes. You don't need CDs. You don't need a cushion to sit on. All you need is your awareness. In this very moment, find three things in your visual field right now that you weren't aware of before. And just note them, right? So it could be the way the light is coming in through the curtains and you go, wow, there's kind of a nice glow in the curtains and you hadn't seen that before. That drops you into a different relationship with the moment. You find three of those in any moment at any time. It could be the most mundane place, your cubicle at work, you know, or that cup of coffee that you've got in the morning. But you note three new things and you're living in a different world. Yeah. I think I remember I think I remember this talk that she did too with with Krista Tippett. And they talk about mindfulness dishes or something. And the idea of doing your dishes as a mindfulness practice mm. and you know, just catching on, oh, I'm seeing the bubbles, oh I'm and I think that there are some there are some of us that do that all the time. It's sort of innate. And I think that often those people are artists. So they're not very, uh, they don't do very well in the nine to five wor- world. Mm-hmm. But they, they do figure out how to capture these moments for us and try and bring us back to it. And I think that we, if you can do, start to do it yourself and catch the beauty in the tulips on the table or the raindrops on the windows, you you slow your life in a way that not only prolongs your life, but also makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, you know, it it makes me think what you were talking about a few minutes ago, the Chinese practice of becoming immortal, right? Supposed practice of becoming immortal. And and, uh, so does that mean that we live longer or does it mean that we simply live more fully the time we have? I've come to take it that it's, it's not immortal in the sense that we understand infinite in in our modern description of physics i think the idea of immortal is more that you live while you have life and you don't when you do not (laughs) (laughs) well that seems pretty simple it seems really simple but it's it's quite complex because i think i think the uh, what's the way uh, maybe you have this experience, maybe you don't. There are times when you see somebody and you think, ooh, they're not well. And there's, there's a fading to, their, to the light in their eyes. To the, there's something deadening them from the outside world. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the light is receding inward. And so it's, it's like looking into a dim forest at a candle somewhere. You're, you're waiting for that, oh, where, where is this person? And I think that in that case, you're dealing with that's, that's the recession of life. And I think especially as you work with uh, geriatric patients or, or as we work with people as they age, you see a big difference in people who have the yang chi to hold themselves upright. They're, they're able to present clearly with their voices and the people who start to fold. And that cycle is fine. But I think the idea of immortality is one of 
as long as you are alive, you're maintaining your your jung chi, your upright chi. I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine. Her uh, sort of strategies for life are spend less money than you make, live until you die. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm thinking, you know, that, yeah, that works. <laughs> That's pretty simple. I want to uh, shift this just a little bit here. I want to comment on your website. Yeah. Because your website is like a poem. I mean, it's really beautiful. It's just evocative and lovely and, and just visually pleasing. And you have this delightful poem by Mary Oliver on your website. It's actually her reading one of her poems. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's one of my favorites of hers as well. So, but the thing that I'm curious about is we often think about medicine as science and completely divorced from art. And yet, I look at your website and it's, you know, it is like a poem. I mean, it's, it's like this visual poem and you even have poetry on it. So how does art help with healing? I think this, this question actually uh, goes back. It goes back a ways to Chinese medicine as shamanic medicine, right? The earliest form of Chinese medicine that we can see is what we would now call uh, shamanic medicine in some way. And that at the time, if I'm not mistaken, they believed that your diseases all came from your ancestors. And so any disease that you got, a cold, anything, was because you weren't appeasing the spirits correctly. And so we were, you know, it's essentially a demon extraction, shamanic medicine, and also the birth of what we're using as medicine now. And those things aren't necessarily separate. But I think as we've technologically evolved as a society, we've taken less systematic approaches to things and kind of capsulated them and saying medicine is this without that. Or science is this without that. And art, I think, is the last stand of shamanism in a big way. And there, I think there are so many images we can think of that, are, that have started the collective healing process. I think these, the photos of the children that are refugees. Mm. And immediately that, that calls the rest of society and says, oh, we have to engage in this. You know, this, this is actually our problem, all of our problems. Picasso's black and white mural that, that is of the bombing of the Spanish city by the Italians and the Germans. I think that these images that get painted and kind of burned into our uh, John and Yoko singing Imagine and their, their sleep in, the big bed photos of them sitting in bed and saying war is over. All these things start the collective healing process for us. And they're, they're kind of this last... They are medicine. That is medicine for our culture. And it's not separate from our collective woes are not separate from our personal woes. Otherwise, you wouldn't worry about the election. True, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, and the other reason I don't think those things are separate for me is my partner, Alice, she, she's a... She's what she calls an architect of experience. So she has a background in choreography. She has a background in digital arts. And 
she tries to create these time-based experiences for people to slow down and, and experience their life through storytelling, through movement, through visualization. And, you know, I think when you live with something like that, it's very inspiring, but it also infects the rest of your world. This slowing down piece really rings like a deep bass note gong kind of feeling for me. Partly I'm thinking back to my first experience with acupuncture, which was decades ago at this point. And, and remembering coming out of that first treatment, curiously unsettled because I couldn't think of more than one thing at a time. And I was working back with computers then and, and used to... Uh, well, I was thinking of it as multitasking, but we know now it's time splicing because multitasking is not possible with the human mind. Um, we can time splice very quickly. And I was incapable of that for a period of time after a treatment. And I have plenty of my patients get off the table. And for a period of time, they are incapable of using their brains and their psyches in that way as well. That uh, it's as if acupuncture is this invitation to fall deeply into the experience of the moment. But that kind of precludes these other imaginings and these other tasks and these things that are not currently in the moment. I mean, they do affect our lives, right? The, the bills, the taxes, the project at work. Um, but they're not in the moment. And it can be, I found it can be really disorienting for people to have all that stuff fall away. Yeah, to have it because you become accustomed to having yourself propped up against these things. And when that resistance disappears and you realize that it's all internal, but you still have the desire to resist, or maybe the, uh, the pattern of resistance, how do, how, do you, uh, how do you grow comfortable in the silence? Mm. I'm curious about your use of the word resistance in this fill that out for us a little bit it's curious resistance doesn't isn't necessarily in my mind a negative aspect it, it falls under this feeling of when you're walking uphill there's a resistance when you're walking downhill there's a resistance when you're walking on flat ground there's a resistance and that resistance uh, is you trying to keep yourself upright both up and downhill and flat. There is this sense of necessity to resistance. But when you internally create a, I don't want to say a problem, but when you internally create a worry uh, or when a worry is placed upon you that you have no choice but to interact with, you, when you have a chance to affect it, you should. But otherwise, there's no sense in worrying about, about how you will handle it when you have to handle it. And so that level of resistance that comes, oh, I have to remember to pay the bills. Oh, my mother is sick. Oh, th the things that unless you are doing them, you're creating a blockage to your, to your ab ability to be present now. To, again, check back in and see the teacup in front of you to to just move to whatever your next task is, and then to do that task when you arrive there. 
Yeah, this worry piece, I suspect you probably see a fair amount of patients who um, really can be hamstrung or they've made themselves ill with the amount of worry that they have in their lives. I know that I do. Um, many of them wake up in the middle of the night and worry endlessly about the things they worry <laughs> yeah. about in the day, plus that they're not sleeping. So they can add that to the list to worry and, and, and not sleep. What are some of the ways that you use to help people with the issues that they come in with that their sources in the worry? Do you use acupuncture, do you use herbs, meditation, lifestyle? What can the warriors out there do for themselves to help themselves? I would love for there to be a blanket answer to this. Something that that you could lay out and everybody's woes would would dissolve. But the the reality of this is that everybody has a different place they come at it from and everybody has a a different way to solve it. And so part of what I, I see my job as is to give space for people to find that out. Some people, it means that they you know, start to check in with their coffee routine. Some people take a bath. Some need to go for more walks. And everybody has a, some need to prepare their own food and just pay attention to their food as they prepare it and not run around. But everybody has their way that they nourish themselves deeply. And, you know, my dancers want to want to dance. That's one of their things. The CrossFit people find all of that in, in, in their exercise. Everybody comes at it so differently. And it's, it's taking the path of self-discovery and actually asking yourself, what can I do for myself? This is so different than what we're sold in our modern day of, oh, you have this problem, we have X solution. It, and it's marketed as it works for everyone. And what I'm hearing you say is we, have our own, we all have our own path to carve with this. Absolutely. So the people that are looking for X solution maybe shouldn't seek out an acupuncturist. Uh, no. I, I think that looking for X solution is is just training. That's what, that's what our culture has exposed us to. Luckily, we live in such a global economy and such a, a global world that we also have access to alternate ideas. It is just that those alternate ideas don't necessarily make a lot of money. And so they don't necessarily, they don't need to fall into the commercialization of a product because it's not it's not a product and and so you may be looking for x you may be looking for resolution of your back pain but what you don't realize is that you probably also underneath the surface of that issue are looking for how to better connect with yourself because pain that has arisen in your body is usually something that maybe you've ignored for a moment and and it's now gotten too loud to ignore any further and so so you are forced to seek out a resolution to that issue but the question is how did you get there to start with 
And so, yes, you, you do need a solution, but that solution may not come in the form of a Tylenol. It may not come in the form, you know, you may, you may find that there's a lifestyle change you have to have. You need to start stretching. You need to start to live again. I hope you've enjoyed the first half of the show. Now it's time for a word from our sponsor. That would be you. By popping over to everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and click on the link to support the show and leave a few dollars that will help to keep some inspiration in the teacup. You know, we run on only the finest oolong and poorer teas here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast Central. No point in going all NPR pledge drive here to remind you that teas like that don't come cheaply. Just know that if you like the show, you can express your appreciation for these interviews with a small donation. As always, I love to get your feedback and ideas for future shows, so send those along too. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the second half of the show. Yeah, so often with pain, one of the big responses to pain is to shut it down, or just, oh, I won't go there, I won't inhabit that area. And then it, then it falls out of consciousness, it falls out of use, and eventually that solution of ignoring it or compartmentalizing it or dissociating from it will create a different set of problems, which leads you to get some help with that. But of course, and it's an old phrase about peeling the onion, but so often there's something underneath something underneath something. As you say this, I think about this idea that so often there is a physical trauma, and that physical trauma... Uh, say you are in a car accident, yeah? That physical trauma creates an emotional scare, and the emotional scare is of losing your life. You feel feared for your life. And until you can reconcile the physical trauma with the emotional one, pain and disease will continue to flourish because we see, I see often people who are in a car accident and for all intents and purposes, all Western diagnostics say that there is not an injury to their body, mm-hmm. but they still have pain in yes. the neck. Yeah, which is, ex- which is exactly what tr- Chinese medicine is trying to heal. These separations of flow, right? the discussion about opening the spaces where flow is not and reducing the spaces where there is excess. So it's interesting because the, it's, it's so hard to be present if you have this kind of separation. I think about it in the sense of a relationship. If there's a rift uh, between the two parties, you have to get both of them back together to resolve the issue. And this, this is where I think we as acupuncturists have kind of this unique skill set because you, you do have this moment to, you go into an acupuncturist, you tell them all the things that have happened to you. you know, oh, I was in this car accident, my bowel movements are this way, I sweat when I sleep, and just by unburdening yourself, you have, you have not only stated the things that are a problem for you, so I think the first step mm. in AA is acknowledging you have a problem. <laughs> so acknowledging I have this problem, and then you're also asking for help. So you're, you're taking the vulnerability, you're taking the moment to be vulnerable and say, I, I need help with this resolution. And in doing just that, you have done, you have brought the physical and the emotional together. And now 
through body work and through a moment to rest and settle the mind and also a moment to air your emotional worries and to air your physical worries, you've reconnected the body, heart, and mind all, all in what seems like a simple gesture. I'm, I think I'm long-winded. Well, it makes total sense. It's lovely to hear you describe it that way. It really lands for me. As I hear that, I go, oh, yes, of course. How, how could I have missed that? I mean, I don't think I've, I mean, in some ways I've missed it, in some ways I haven't. Uh, the way that you phrase it makes me recognize the importance of it. One of the things that I see a lot in my practice, partly because I ask a lot of questions like you do too, I'm sure, because we're trying to understand what's going on. And in that process of people filling in the story, so to speak, they will often make connections between the car accident, some family trauma that happened, and this digestive thing that all kind of showed up about the same time. And up until that moment, it was these three separate things that are dogging them. And all of a sudden, putting it together in time and space, there's this sense of, oh, these things all arose within a similar time frame, within a similar experience, and they're actually all connected. One of the things for me that's fascinating about Chinese medicine is those connections will often make a huge amount of sense to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So, that, you know, often the patient will be like, well, these three things happened and, and they're, they're totally unrelated and I don't know how anything could be connected. And it's like, well, no, actually those are totally connected. And then we can fill in a little bit of the other piece of the story that they don't see. And now they stop feeling like they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because these things actually do fit. And there's somebody who has seen it experientially, right? There, you have 3,000 years of history that says, oh, these things seem to be correlated. And if you do, uh, if you start to look for these things, uh, it's so, on a, on a vague example, it's hard. So I think if you, I come in and I have low back pain because I was in a car accident, my knees hurt, I've started having this strange, uh, loose, undigested stool, and, and I'm also getting anxiety now, which I've never had before. That jumps out for, for us Chinese medicine practitioners as what we would say is a Xiaoyin disharmony, yeah? A kidney chi mm. deficiency that is, is not supporting the heart. And because of both the meditation background, the, the non-separation of the body and the mind, the systematic approach to analyzing and understand the body, we know that it may not have anything to do with your kidneys, but it matches this, this pattern of, of what we call kidney chi deficiency. We're kind of speaking in code when we, when we say that. It's, it's, you know, and, and to other acupuncturists, we get that. Of course, to... Uh, you know, regular civilians, so to speak. It, it sounds like, oh my God, I got a kidney disease. Now what? So those of you that are listening that are not acupuncturists, we have this kind of shorthand code, just like every profession has a shorthand code for talking about stuff. We just have a shorthand code for different kinds of patterns of disharmony that we see that aren't just physical and aren't just 
emotional, um, but often are these varying amalgamations. Amalgamations, exactly. Where you can have a car accident and everything on the Western diagnostics, conventional medicine diagnostics, comes out clean. And yet, you might have this anxiety, you're not sleeping, you might have this pain in your neck, you know, whiplash. And really what it is, is you were so frightened in that moment that it happened. And you didn't even realize it. Most of us will skip right over the fear and go directly to anger. Well, that person was on their cell phone and texting when they hit me. <laughs> right? And we totally forget. We totally skip over. Oh, my God, I could have died and my child was in the car and they could have been injured. And, and so one of the beautiful things about, about the acupuncture is we get to work with that stuff. And you don't even have to be conscious of it for it to work. No, I think, well, and there is. The, there's the physical reaction of putting a needle in the body. I think it releases endorphins. You get a good dose of oxytocin. And from a biomedicine perspective, you are, you are receiving all the information that says you've had a, a little trauma and you need to heal. Hmm. And... The great thing is, is that the trauma is not big enough to actually need much resources, but you still mobilize the entire, the entire resource center. Uh, your, in, your entire repair system comes out. You know, the mechanic, the, the guy who does the body work, and everybody comes out and starts looking around, okay, okay, what can we do here? And I think in the same way we're, we're speaking in code when we say, you know, kidney chi deficiency, people's doctors tell them, oh, you have lumbago and cervicalgia. And that's, you go home and you, go you go home and you Google it. What? what? What do I have? Oh, no. Oh, it's just back pain and neck pain. I'm okay. <laughs> I knew that when I went in. Uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of back pain and neck pain, I noticed on your website as well that you... Uh, you mentioned whiplash. I'm curious to know what's special about treating whiplash. I wouldn't say there's anything special about treating any other problem, right? There's this idea, uh, the same treatment for many diseases, because each of them interact with the body in a different way. And I think it goes back to that. There are not, there's not one blanket that you can cast over this kind of issue. So everybody's whiplash is different. Everybody's stomach pain is different, but it all is kind of the same also. It, this is one of the things that my patients sometimes find curious and hard to wrap their, their brain around, which is I don't have a specific treatment for a specific ailment. You know, unlike conventional medicine, oh, I've got a problem with my stomach. Well, here's the three different meds that you might get. When folks come in to see us, yeah, they may have a fairly common garden variety ailment of some sort, but because everything about that is unique to them, and they are unique, and how that problem arose and how it's held in place is unique, the treatment is always going to be individual. I think it's where our medicine is really special, actually, mm. because how often do you get 30, 40, 50 minutes with your... Western medicine provider, 
so that you can really flush out everything that's happening in your life. You might come in for a fungal treatment that's on your foot. But unless you, unless you get to the root that you picked it up at the gym because you're not wearing flip-flops, you're just going to keep being treated for that fungal treatment. And we have the, we have the chance to really, to really be personal with people, to really engage in a meaningful way. So here's, here's a curious question. How much of the healing would you say comes from the acupuncture in the needles? And how much of it comes from a patient having this opportunity simply to sink for a moment into their own experience and have a larger sense of what's happening for them? Ah, this, I love these chicken and egg questions. Do you know Richard Feynman? The name is familiar. He's a, oh, the, the physicist. Yes, the physicist. If you've, if you've watched any of his videos... He's hilarious. He's hilarious, and he starts to... He has this whole bit about it's fun to imagine physics. And I think that thinking about Richard Feynman is going to have me lose my thought here. He, <laughs> you know, he has this idea, what's called the sticky bead argument. And it's, I've been reading about gravitational waves and kind of loving all the discussion that's taking place around it. But he, he always tries to sum things up in the simplest waves or the simplest way possible. And he has this famous, this famous quote, and let me see if I can pull it up. He, he's talking about how gravitational waves work. And he says that a passing gravitational wave should cause a bead which is free to slide along a stick and move back and forth. But when the stick is held transversely to the wave's direction of propagation, so in the, in the way that the wave is moving, if it's held uh, against that, the wave generates tidal forces at about the midpoint of the stick. And you, if you kind of wag a pencil between your fingers like you did when you were a kid to make it look wavy, you get an idea of what this would look like. And if you were to have beads on top of that, you can imagine how they would move, right? This kind of, kind of undulation. Mm-hmm. And dear Lord, I lost whatever I was thinking about. <laughs> we were talking about Richard Feynman mm-hmm. in the chicken and egg of oh. uh, the question I asked concerning needles or a person just <laughs> falling into their own sense of themselves. Yes, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm making a false dichotomy here. No, no, thank you. I think that there is not – Richard Feynman sets me off. He's, he's hilarious and has these simple ways of explaining things. And he does it by not separating ideas. And I don't know that there, I don't know that you can have one without the other. Can you do a double blind where you put needles in and somebody doesn't relax? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. So, or doesn't sink and settle into their being. I don't know. I haven't seen it happen yet. So, do I know which one is doing more? I don't know that you can do a double blind on it because I don't know that you can have one without the other. Yeah. No. Actually, I I don't think that we can. And. <laughs> and and while the double blind can be useful in looking at certain levels of reality, at these more relational levels, it breaks down really quickly. And even the, you know, I mean, we're talking about Richard Feynman here. Um, how do we get to Richard Feynman <laughs> from talking about tea? Holy smokes. The physics of 100 years ago 
was beginning to note, hey, you can't observe something without changing what's observed, right? I mean, the most sciency of the sciences. This is, this is not new stuff, right? This is old stuff. You can't observe something without changing what, what's being observed. And yet, with our, I'm going to put this in air quotes, modern yeah. medicine, we leave that out completely. You're talking about people having the opportunity to unburden what's happening physically, unburden what's happening emotionally. That alone sets something in progress. Well, I'd retract the question, except I'd already no, asked it. So. No, and I, uh, you know, it's, I love feeling where these things digress a little bit. But I think physics is interesting in the aspect that physicists often will make an equation or will create some theorem or proof that doesn't have any application yet, right? And in doing that, they're very proud. <laughs> I, I've made something that has no use. And then it always is followed by yet. Because uh, we, can, we can see with something like gravitational waves where they made it, but they had never seen it, so they don't know if it's real. So until these two black holes merged and they were able to record that happening, they didn't know they existed or not. So they, and with Chinese medicine, often people are like, oh, how do, how, what is qi? How does it work? Can we measure it? And I, I often get to this space internally that says, no, not yet. Mm. You know, kind of very cheekily pleased that maybe they're, maybe they're not caught up to it yet. And yet, we have these incredibly sensitive nervous systems. So if a certain kind of person walks into a room, we can feel the energy of that room change. That's an expression of chi. Yeah. Right. I I remember years ago in Seattle, looking at a house because I was considering buying a house. I remember walking into one and going, "Nope, not this one." Yeah. Why not? Just no. Something bad happened here. I don't know what it was. We have these incredibly delicate nervous systems that can notice this stuff. Well, and there there are so many things that we that we don't track. There's this, uh, what is it called? Jacobson's organ, which is the marrow nasal organ that most animals have. And it's strongest, I think, in reptiles and snakes. It's that thing that when you meet somebody and you're like, I don't know why, but we're going to be really good friends. Mm. And you just sort of warm up to them immediately. Chances, mm -hmm. chances are it's that you have the VNO, the Jacobson's organ, is an auxiliary olfactory organ in the nose that is used to sense pheromones and chemicals. It's a chemical sensor that we, it's not very big in humanity, but it is still a central part of our being. And so there are those times that you meet somebody or you come into a room and you're like, ooh, not, something about this room is wrong. And whether that's chi or whether that's chemical signals or... You know, an amalgamation of all of them. If it's, we live in consciousness soup, and and so there's no way there's no way to separate it. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, this has been one wide-ranging conversation, and it's getting close to winding down time too. So, anything else you'd like to have our listeners hear before we uh, sign off? Maybe this is 
the space for this. There is this lovely meditation tape, is what I'll call it. It's called Sleeping, no, it's called Dreaming with Jeff. And it is Jeff Bridges. Oh, the dude. Yes, the dude. Uh. Taking people through a guided meditation. And somewhere about midway through, his idea is that he wants to help people sleep. And about midway through the tape, as, he, as he's winding down, he says, I want to give you some positive affirmations before you go to bed. And I'll actually send you the track here. I think mm-hmm. it's a nice way to close just about anything. Mm-hmm. And he, he just tells, tells people all these nice things. You know, I think you have a nice haircut. I think you smell nice. When, when there's a birthday at work, your coworkers sing at a lower volume just to hear you sing happy birthday. <laughs> and it is one of the most endearing, sweet things, I think, to hear. Uh, it's lovely. So, yeah, I just, so that's, that's about how I want to close. Maybe I don't think that there's, if you set me off, I'll wander in another direction because I've had enough tea to. Yeah. And what tea are you drinking anyway? I'm drinking Quailing's tea. It's a Dayuling, which means the monkey pick tea. And it's from Tambor Teas. Tambor Teas. That's her tea company. Yeah. Whaling's teas. I mean, I've been drinking Whaling's teas for years, and um, they're always amazing. I mean, they're always like, how did you find that stuff? And what's lovely about that, right, is that being Taiwanese, she goes back every year to visit her family, and her husband is our teacher, Daniel Altshuler, and he goes back to work with his teacher, so while she's visiting family and, and he's working with his teacher, she also takes time to go out to the farms and find the best tea sources, I think, that are available. They're amazing. Do you know if they have a website? I don't think they do yet. Wow. Well, if they do, we'll stick that on the show notes page, too, because let me tell you, if you're a tea drinker out there, Quailene's teas are incredible. All righty. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been a... Lovely conversation. I suspect I'm going to have to go to the library and uh, dig up a Richard Feynman book now. I'll do it. He's such a pleasure to read. All right. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, a quick note to the listeners here. If you've enjoyed the show, you can support it now. We have a donations page. And if you'd like to throw a a few shekels in the teacup over here, uh, we'd love to have it. It keeps us in tea over here at Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. And hope you've enjoyed the show today. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture Podcast. If so, please take a moment and visit www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com where you can click on the review on iTunes button to rate and review the show. Doing this helps other people to find the show. Also, you can express your appreciation by supporting the show with a donation. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in again next time. 